0: Do your palms sweat at the sight of a lengthy wine list? Do your eyes glaze over when people start talking about tannins? Wine doesn't have to be scary or stuffy. Join comedian and host Ben Schwartz, a self-proclaimed wine novice who teamed up with Wine Dialogues to create The Wine Down, a new podcast that makes learning about wine fun. In each episode, Ben and a guest comedian sit down with a wine expert to ask all the questions you've been too afraid to ask. Listen along as they taste wine, share toasts, and crack jokes in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you choose to listen. The Wine Dialogues is a project of the William Hill Estate Winery. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that lets you message a licensed therapist from anywhere at any time. If you can't imagine fitting another appointment into your life with Talkspace, therapy is as easy as sending your therapist a message. To match with a perfect therapist for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, go to Talkspace.com slash Cracked and use the code Cracked to get $45 off your first month and show your support for this show. That's Cracked and Talkspace.com slash Cracked. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of The Cracked Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I'm also known as Schmitty the Clam, and I'm also, also glad we dove into doing this episode. Ana Hosnier and Shireen Yunus are my guests. They host a fantastic podcast of their own called Ethnically Ambiguous about everything that goes into, as they put it, being brown in America. They are both of Middle Eastern heritage, have been there many times, and when I say something that broad, you know, the Middle East, I'm blowing past all kinds of complexity and that's our topic today, ways the Middle East is more diverse and complex and full on fascinating than most Americans realize. To the point where the term Middle East means a billion things or no things, we'll get into how many. May not have a number, but we'll get into why. One heads up before we start, I feel the Middle East is a region that moves fast and move slowly at the same time. Because here's something that happened. We taped this a little over a week ago, and as we were in the room making the show, the United States, UK, and France launched over 100 cruise missiles into Syria. Now... We are talking without knowledge of that latest development on this show because Syria moves fast. Also, here's how it moves slow. The Syrian civil war is over seven years old now, and it's so intractable right now, those strikes didn't really change the realities we'll be talking about all that much. Obviously, it makes a difference, but this week's footnotes contain a great write-up from Ars Technica of the results of those missile strikes that you know about so far. They report that it's fuzzy as to whether anything was done to slow down. Chemical weapons production or slow down the war, Anna and Shireen and I are, quite tragically, describing kind of the exact same Syria that you're reading about now. Also, one quick correction before we start. Toward the middle of the show, I'm going to bring up a Saudi Instagram star named Amy Rocco, and I'm going to say it's amazing that she can do impressions from under a hijab. The garment I meant to say is a niqab, which additionally covers the face beyond a hijab's covering of the hair. So we're going to footnote a rundown of that difference and more. Um, I'm really sorry I mixed that up it's in there. And I'm stoked for all of you to hear this show. It's got personal stories, world events, and more incredible stuff. So please sit back or sit in vigilance of the further errors I probably made because I'm a big dummy. Either way, enjoy this episode of The Cracked Podcast with my much wiser guests, Ana Hosnier and Shereen Eunice. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. We are joined in the studio by Anna Hoskin. Hey, Anna, yeah. how are you nice. doing? Hi, how are you? And, uh, and we're also joined by Shireen Eunice. Hello yes. Shireen.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: No, I'm glad to have, have you both. You're the host yeah. of Ethnically Ambiguous, yeah. which is a fantastic podcast about your lives and the world. Well, and uh, today there's a, a lot of things we want to get into, but mainly about the Middle East, the famous entity of so much of news and mm-hmm. also the mm-hmm. world. But I think it's something that it, it might be the most misunderstood region of the planet.
1: I would yeah. agree, yeah. As
0: far as I can tell. I've never been to any of it personally. Mm-hmm. But it seems like there's so many ways, especially Americans, just don't understand it.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. The majority of like white America has not been to or very is very familiar with the Middle East. And I think that was a, one of the reasons me and Anna wanted to start this podcast. Because we there were so many news topics that weren't getting covered that we thought were very notable and important so
0: yeah yeah,
2: yeah. i feel like the largest place people visit in the middle east ish is turkey mm-hmm. they have the most tourism i think
1: yeah, istanbul
0: oh. has a lot of like yeah.
1: architecture like the hagia sophia and like yeah. it's like right in the center it's right in the center of asia and europe so it's like a hub of all of these very touristy things and also i think Maybe Dubai recently because oh, very yeah. westernized, but um, Dubai is huge. Yeah, <laughs> people love Dubai. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, when I I worked at College Humor at one point and they sent someone to Dubai to try a new Pizza Hut pizza that was only available in Dubai, yeah. where it had little cheeseburgers on the crust all around. Oh,
1: it. Okay, chill, chill. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing, what we're doing with our with our great Arab uh, Western state. We're making <laughs> pizza with cheeseburgers on it. That's great well, to know. That always
2: <laughs> reminds me, like comedian billy wayne davis has a joke that's like dubai is if you let a rapper design a city and it's just <laughs> like so real because there's so much opulence there that you're like why it's why do you so have this? opulent why can you go into a mall and go skiing like yeah. it's so strange <laughs> and then, no, that's,
1: that's not a joke that's true yeah. you, they have a ski resort in a mall i went to that mall my cousin lives in dubai i have, I have some family over there and like- because it's so hot The malls are always air conditioned and they're like a refuge, like an oasis in the middle of the desert is a mall. And it's just this (laughs) opulent place where people don't really even buy anything. They just walk around and stay cool. It's just, it's very opulent. It's not for me, but it's kind of impressive because they've built that country and all its money based on tourism alone and not on oil.
0: Oh, that's amazing. It's like just from people going there.
1: They've built it to make it happen that way. Also all completely built by like slaves.
2: Yeah, very, very poor
1: place. There, there's an underlying oh, an yeah. underlying darkness <laughs> yeah. in,
0: into the oh. opulence of Dubai. As we look at the whole Middle East, uh, at one point on your show, Ana, you said, I'm paraphrasing, but with most Middle Eastern governments, there's two sides. There's not only all kinds of different mm-hmm. situations here in the Middle East, but also it seems like a lot of these places have that mix of, this is a Vegas-style extravaganza of... Yeah. Also, I don't even know how mall skiing works. I'm still very confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: They're very public versus private. So, like, public, they're like, guys, come on, yeah. it's great. We're doing great. And then private, yeah. it's like everyone's being held in, yeah. like, a Ritz-Carlton prison. And they're just like, guys, no, everything's great. <laughs> yeah. I'm mostly talking about Saudi Arabia. They give off this vibe, like, mm-hmm. the uh, king of United Arab mm-hmm. Emirates, he has this, like, very interesting public life where he's friends with the queen of england they love horse racing but then at the same time his daughter is being like drugged and held because she's too like rebellious Mm -hmm. there's a lot of
1: drama that like is not covered yeah (laughs) and it's so interesting because it should be covered but then then you also have dubai getting in the news because they built the tallest building in the world and so it's like (laughs) they they just they they go out of their way to make milestones but There's like a lot of darkness about like, how did this happen? How did they build this tall building? Well, they needed people like slaves. (laughs) So it's not all roses. But I mean, it's impressive, to say the least. Maybe not in a great way, but in a dark way.
0: (laughs) One thing we wanted to talk about as far as it being diverse and interesting and Mm -hmm. underexplored is the politics, because there are so many different kinds of arrangements in the region. And also, you guys had picked out on your show... Something I didn't really know, which is that, like, I think we in America, we mostly know the countries that got invaded uh, by America. Like, <laughs> right. the main things that jump to mind are like, oh, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan and yeah. where else did we go, which is not like <laughs> that insightful. Yeah. Um, but you guys have picked out that a lot of the region is dominated by Saudi Arabia and Iran mm-hmm. yeah. facing off against each other within every other country.
2: Right. Those are the two top dogs. Yeah, for sure. And it does break down to Sunni versus Shiite Muslim. Mm -hmm. So, like, most of Iran, or all of Iran is for the most part Shiite, and then the rest of the regions are Sunni.
1: Yeah, both are sects of Islam. Yeah. I guess, like, a little bit of history on that. Even though they're part of the same religion, it's kind of like Catholicism versus Christianity. Like, there's, like, very minute differences that have, like, separated them forever. And Mm -hmm. in, in the case of Shia and Sunni Muslims, it goes back to when Prophet Muhammad died in the 7th century and um, when he died, the Sunnis disagreed with who should be his rightful heir, mm-hmm. and the Shia the, the Shia Muslims they wanted his nephew to be the heir, versus the Sunnis did not really acknowledge. They wanted the um, his friend Abu Bakr, who was like the the, the the biggest caliph and like in their mind the rightful successor. Yeah. Right, and so since then they've been disagreeing and. For the most part, they all get along now. Like if in, in in like in, the, in America, for example, like I had friends that were Shia, and like growing up, and my my mom was friends with everybody. There's no there's no like a modern Muslim, I don't think gives a shit. There's roots in Iran and Saudi Arabia that go so much deeper than that, <laughs> and they don't let things go. And mostly Sunni Muslims follow like the word of the Prophet of
2: Muhammad, mm-hmm. and Shiites kind of lean towards more their like Ayatollah, who's like their supreme yeah. leader of their country. To be like, that's our God. So mm-hmm. this is kind of weird separation. And I mean, there's a lot of differences. But at the same time, there's a lot of... Sure. They're the same. They're, we're all Muslim.
1: Yeah. They're, <laughs> I should they're, say that. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they, they both follow the Quran and yeah. they've just deviated as far as like the one, like like what, who to listen to as far, I guess, you know? Right. Um, but it's, I mean, in my opinion, it's that we're all the same and we should all get along. But Saudi Arabia and Iran disagree <laughs> or their, their governments disagree, I should say. And Saudi Arabia is the home of Mecca, which is a very holy place for all Muslims, right? Because that's it houses the Kaaba, which is like this, like basically like a big black cube for lack of a better description. And that's where, in the Quran, like at least once a year, a Muslim goes and ma- makes pilgrimage there.
2: And ideally, once in your life, you're supposed to, or go. not
1: once a year. Sorry, I meant once in a lifetime. Well, yeah, it, it
2: happens once a year. Yeah, there's like a time when the pilgrimage happens, mm-hmm. but then it's suggested if you are a devout Muslim person, at least once in your life, you should go. Like my mom has gone twice so Mm -hmm. far in her life.
1: My parents have gone once. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh wow. So ideally.
1: Yeah. Ideally, like it's a, it's a one time, like at least this time. Yeah. And then, so Saudi Arabia is a very holy place for all Muslims. And I think, and it's a Sunni country. And I think Iran being a Shiite country, there are some rifts that are created in that divide. But at at this point, it just, it goes deeper than that because, now Iran backs Syria's Bashar al-Assad, and it, they're, like, friends with Russia now. And then Syria, just to be clear, is not a Sunni country or a Shiite country. Bashar is a member of the Alawite sect, which is not Muslim. They lean more towards, like, secularism. Yeah. yeah. it's got It's gotten, like, a bit of a—just fuddled up together.
2: But I think at this right. point, it's even beyond religion. It's straight politics. I agree. They're just like, <laughs> I'm the big dog. Like, no, yeah. I'm the big dog. Yeah, and I agree. Just, it's just a a very weird like petty argument that it's so petty will never end because they'll be like, no, I want to be seen this as like the person who's in charge. And at this point, it's like no one needs to be in charge. Yeah, we all need to step back and look at the situation yeah. we're in. <laughs> but no yeah. one will do that.
1: I think I think I get a little upset when Iran uh, sides with the Russia with Russia too because I think like I was on the way here, I got so livid because I, on NPR I was listening to how. Russia blamed the chemical attack in Syria that happened last week on England because the White Helmets are an English corporation. England. And the White Helmets, they say, are notorious for staging chemical attacks. That are fake news and that Wait a minute. T- to blame Bashar's <laughs> Bashar's uh, regime, and I got so mad <laughs> because the, right. the the idea that a uh, um, humanitarian organization like the White Helmets, which it's a brilliant organization, they're doing so much good in Syria, but the idea that the Russians can say they made this up to damage the reputation of Bashar al-Assad is absurd because. There is evidence, there's so much evidence, against that regime murdering its own people via chemical attacks and otherwise. The fact that Iran backs Russia's statement on that makes me furious.
0: Because aren't, aren't the white helmets? It's a Doctors Without Borders exactly. type organization. So
2: so why would they want to do that?
0: Right, right. It would be like <laughs> yeah. you know who really did it? The Red Cross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it
1: enrages me. Enrages me.
0: This is breaking news that what you've just said about it. So I, I don't really know. Is this like the Russians? being mad about the British, being mad about the yes. guy the Russians poisoned in Yes, because they Something also like said,
2: didn't they say the British did that as well? Yeah. They, they are blaming everything yeah. on the UK at this point. They don't care. Yeah,
1: but the yeah. Russians are, they're notorious for this, like, absurd propaganda they use that is so yeah. based on absurd lies. It's just so crazy that they get a, that they, they can get on stage and say these things. Like, it was a speech that this guy made about, like, the, the white helmets and all this bullshit. And it's just like, I can't believe, it's just like Trump saying absurd stuff on stage and, there are yeah. always people that will believe him, and there are always people that will believe uh, an absurdist Russian guy that's like England did it, <laughs> 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 the British did it, duh. Yeah. <laughs> Try and question me. It's yeah. like oh,
0: okay. Looking at this political divide, like it is, it is weird how much it sort of spiderwebs outward because we have Sunni Saudi Arabia primarily, and then Shia Iran. And then from there, they're fighting kind of proxy battles in most of the other countries in the region. And it spills over into some African countries. And then Iran has Russia's backing and the Saudis have mostly had the U.S.'s backing. It becomes a way for the U.S. and Russia to fight. And then Great Britain gets involved in that. Like, if you are at home, like, well, how could these random small countries in the Middle East affect me? Like, your country is involved, too. It's become global. And now...
2: Turkey, who has tended to be more on the west side of things, is meeting with Russia and Iran. Mm -hmm. So we don't even... Turkey is, like, actually kind of... Double agent. They're going away from us now. And that's a problem because the U.S. has a ton of bases in Turkey. So that kind of ruins us, like, strategically Mm -hmm. with the military. So Erdogan, the president of Turkey, he is a religious man. And he has caused a lot of issues since he came into office because... Turkey used to be a very secular country, and now he's brought a lot of his religion into it and caused a lot of issues. Like, there was the coup where the uh, military tried to overthrow him, and it's a mess. So now this guy's going to hang out with Putin (laughs) and uh, President Rouhani of Iran, and people are like, wait a second. You were on our side. Now you're meeting with them. And he's being like, well, we have to come up with something to do in Syria, and you guys aren't doing anything. And it's like,
1: you you know, you're shady if you meet with Putin. Let's just say that. Like, you know, you know, you're not going in the right direction if you meet with motherfucking Putin. And Iran's been very clear from the start.
2: (laughs) We're on our own side, so we'll do what we want. (laughs) So
1: you mentioned like the term Middle East is like there are various things that like it encompasses, you know, and, right. Yeah, and, and I, I feel
0: like almost everybody has a concept of what that is. Yeah. Probably only one or two total concepts, even though yeah. it's very diverse. Uh, but yeah, go on. But
1: there are so many ethnic regions in the Middle East, and I mean, like I personally use that term as an umbrella term, especially when I'm talking about like the the podcast I have with Anna, because I use it to group myself an Arab and Anna an Iranian or a Persian together, because a lot of Persians or Iranians they uh, have gotten mad at me when I say that they're an Arab by mistake or something because they're Persian. And in my opinion, we're all so similar. We should all just be one thing, which is Middle Eastern. And like an umbrella right. term is just more friendly than like little tiny little terms. So that's how I use the term. Like I remember when I applied to college, for example, set, select your race and I said white and in parentheses including Middle Eastern. So I think, oh, really? I think it's kind of like fudgy now, but um, yeah, I, I think that's how I use it.
2: Middle Easterns are considered Caucasian.
1: Yeah, I mean, technically, yeah. biologically... We're from the Caucasus Mountains or whatever the shit.
0: Oh, but, right. Like just proximity yeah. to those uh, yeah. pieces of rock. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but as far as me and Anna's experiences, I would not consider that a white experience like, yeah. in, the, in this country.
0: And your folks, uh, like Anna, your folks are from Iran and then mm-hmm. Shereen, your folks are from Syria. Yeah. This whole region, you mentioned Syria. Is, yeah, that's sort of been a flashpoint of this Saudi and Iranian mm-hmm. dispute. It's also a country where, and checking in on it, because I remember working at a site where I did a piece on the Syrian civil war in like 2012. Yep. And it was like, we should be aware of this because we need yeah. to work on it and fix it soon. And now it's now. But apparently half the country's population are now refugees, many of mm. them internally in the country. Yeah, It seems like it's just spilling out everywhere in the mm-hmm. region completely and nobody's quite aware of it being not just going everywhere, but also the vast majority of the refugees still being in the Middle East.
1: Yeah, they're they're because they've, they're displaced, and it's really unfortunate. And the war has been going. I mean, I don't. I hate calling it a war because to me, it's more of like a. It's a genocide. It's a genocide. For the most it's part. a genocide. They're killing yeah. everybody. The, the government is is shamelessly killing its own citizens, and it's been going on now longer than World War Two. And people are still like, "What's going on in Syria?" And it's like. <laughs> I understand maybe like if you're if you're distant from the issue you don't know everything but at least being aware that it's the worst humanitarian crisis of like the last two hundred years so well not including Yemen not including Yemen's. Yemen <laughs> not including Yemen <laughs> which is another thing that people don't know about yeah
0: but you mean present day Yemen yes. like yes. right now
2: which is struggling hard due to a war going on within that country that Saudi Arabia has not helped with much either and by that I mean they've tried to help but they've mostly just accidentally airstriked a bunch of children
1: over and over and over again. And if you really want to... Complete strategic failure. (laughs) If you you really want to just get sad forever, just look at Yemeni children pictures on Google. and It's not good. It's just really sad.
0: And it seems really worth keeping track of as a person in America or a person who's not that on top of these things because I think usually these conflicts... Especially in the U.S., I think we're very focused on the Israel-Palestine conflict. And so we just see it as, okay, these Middle Eastern issues, it's just one group versus another group locally. Mm -hmm. But it's actually sort of – it seems like it's this much broader interconnected thing, all kinds of places. So, like, if I look up a story about Yemen, it's about rebels in Yemen firing missiles into Saudi Arabia Mm – because there are all these different countries involved in one place. Well, that
2: one, even when you blow it out more and more, we talked about this on an episode of Ethnically Ambiguous, that comes back down to Iran versus Saudi Arabia as yeah. well, because Iran backs the rebels, Saudi Arabia backs the government. And when you, like, zoom out, it's back to Iran versus Saudi Arabia. And right. it's almost like all these little countries just get stuck yeah. in the middle, and there's just no chance for them. because it's just,
1: they, become, they become casualties of Iran and Saudi Arabia's petty little war which a big war (laughs) between (laughs) each other. But yeah, it's just unfortunate that actual countries and civilians and children are becoming.
2: And I feel like it doesn't help that now, like a, 30-year-old run Saudi Arabia. Mohammed bin Salman? Muhammad
0: bin Salman. Yeah, I've seen him written up as MBS, yeah. which is a pretty oh my God. stylish <laughs> name. with The
2: Rock yeah. at dinner. We <laughs> <Like>, oh, <laughs> <he> got lunch at <laughs> Wayne race. Johnson. Yeah.
1: <laughs> really hitting it up all the LA <laughs> hotspots. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he wants
2: to modernize Saudi Arabia, but there is a lot wrong with how he has gone about his rule. One, he forced his way into power. Because he wasn't technically next in line. He went and got the guy who was next in line and was kind of like, no, I'm next in line and you're going to agree with that. And then basically held that guy in house arrest in his palace, which I always think is the funniest thing, that they're like, I'm in house (laughs) arrest in my palace.
0: Because one step back with it, I feel like with Iran and with Saudi Arabia and looking at them, it seems like they've also been ruled each pretty unilaterally by one or two people for decades now. Mm -hmm. Like in Iran, it's been... They've had a supreme leader since the 1979 revolution. Mm
1: -hmm. And then
0: there are only two people have held that position. And it's been the same guy, Khamenei, since 1989, I think. And then in Saudi Arabia, it's been one absolute monarchy running the country. So when this crown prince MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, (laughs) takes over, it's because his dad was like, okay, as far as I can tell. That's all it takes in the government there. Yeah, because
2: he's still crown prince. His father is king. Yeah. Which, yeah. But I think once they get past a certain age, they're kind of like, all right, man, what, yeah. what do you want to do? And then it's like, <laughs> almost like they're in a training, but for the most part, they have all control. Yeah. yeah. But as, at the same time, they do have to respond to the religious clerics, clerics of their country. But I think with MBS, he's slowly been like, no, we're modernizing and you guys need to back off. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that's going to lead to. I don't know if there's going to be a rise of clerics. I don't know. Yeah. Probably not, because it seems like he arrests and put and puts people in his Ritz-Carlton prison. That's also true. He, When he arrests people, he puts them in jail in Ritz-Carlton I mean, Hotel.
1: Not the worst jail, yeah. I've heard. <laughs> yeah, <I don't>. it's, <laughs> so, it's interesting, though, because so many rulers of Arab countries have gotten into power via force. Like in Syria, even, Bashar al-Assad's father, he got into power via military coup. He was in charge of the military, and then that family has been in charge since the 60s, basically. That one family. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel like once anyone gains power in an Arab country they just refuse to let it go it's just that's coups <laughs> are
2: huge yeah. in the Middle huge. East Huge, they huge. love it they same love thing
1: it. same thing with
2: Iran it was like the uh the Shah's family Reza Pahlavi his family the king of Iran his family took control from a coup d'etat from before mm-hmm. and then they got overthrown from a coup d'etat that led to like an aggressive yeah. religious Islamic takeover uh-huh. so coup after coup after coup that's how most of the Middle East moves along yeah. in history is like oh there's another coup. Not like an election, tried, but a coup. <laughs> they tried to overthrow Erdogan mm-hmm. with a coup. That didn't work. So yeah.
0: in Turkey, right? Yeah, it does seem like. I mean, there are coups all over the place throughout history. It seems like when one family continues to rule a country in the Middle East, that helps deepen these grudges, right? Because yeah. like mm-hmm. it's it's almost like if the Cold War was going on and we still had Kennedy and Khrushchev in power, still like of course they would be mad yeah. at each other. They've been fighting for decades yeah. in this it's imaginary a world, grudge, yeah. you know? Yeah.
1: But it's interesting that you said like and I think it's true a lot of Americans only know the Middle East because of what American media will tell them like Israel versus Palestine and like because Israel has such a large stake or America and Israel are so they're very much invested in each other we're only going to hear that side of the story. Mm-hmm. And I think we try to like b- bring other points of view especially in our podcast like from Al Jazeera which is a, an amazing site and, or like a news source but it gets deemed as like I've heard a white person once like they were like, "Doesn't ISIS run that?" And it's like, "No, it's just a news media source. And it has an Arabic word, like word, and it. it doesn't mean it's like ISIS." Like I feel like America has made Arab countries like reduced to like us versus them, and it's yeah. really unfortunate.
2: Yeah, the thing is Al Jazeera is just straight facts. So mm-hmm. a lot of Middle Eastern countries actually hate Al Jazeera. They're not allowed <laughs> in a lot of countries. Israel banned
1: Al Jazeera. Yeah. Israel was the, one of the first countries that Israel banned. Did. Yeah, Israel. Yeah. Because, Saudi Arabia
2: is not having it either. Yeah. This is very complicated. The situation with Qatar, because Al Jazeera formed initially in Qatar, they were telling them because there was a whole um, blockade happening with Qatar because of truly some and of the pettiest recent, stuff. Right? Yes, like that's, that's very yeah. petty. That, that also, I'll give a quick breakdown of that. So Qatar's website was hacked by UAE united uh, arab emirates who denies this to this day but the fbi has come out and said there is actual evidence that sorry, show
0: sorry like their their website just their web, like the their main website? qatar
2: ha- website was hacked that said iran's a great place we want to be just like iran saudi arabia saw this oh, they, like, and <laughs> they UAE, like wrote
0: a blog post yes
2: and <laughs> it's come out that uae hacked them and did this uae's like i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> cia right. and fbi were like ton of evidence that you did this and then oh, Saudi Arabia is like, okay, well, now you're in trouble with everyone. So here's a blockade. Your country's screwed. You're going to get no food, no water, nothing. You have no chance of doing any trades. Yeah. Your people can't even come and go to pilgrimage, which is a religious thing. It's like you shouldn't even hold yeah. that against them.
1: They fuck them over.
2: Then it comes yeah. out that it's all really because Qatar got the World Cup and they're all so jealous <laughs> that they are going to destroy this country's ability to build any stadiums or anything. Yeah. It all just stems from them being like, what how could you? I wanted this big soccer <laughs> tournament. And that's it. Oh. And it's they so no one will of course stupid. admit this because yeah. that's not their way, but and, and again it's just cuz they said that Iran was cool like basically yeah. and that they're like no, we don't think so. Also one of the stipulations was for us to remove these blockades, you have to shut down Al Jazeera altogether, which they're like no.
0: The country of Qatar, I heard it was being blockaded because the ostensible reason was that they were sponsoring terrorism, but then it's because they're friends with Iran, and then that's friends with Russia, and that's opposed to yeah. the United States, and then back and forth. And like Oman was working as a port for Qatar at one point in the blockade, and so then they were both blacklisted by each other. Yeah. And it it yeah. really seems like it's... like Like, what do Saudi Arabia and Iran... Want out of this struggle with each other? What are they, they trying want, to accomplish?
2: I don't think Qatar sponsors terrorism. I think I think it's a watered down yeah, way I'd, to just be like yeah. they're bad because <laughs> they're like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> because that was their way of going around and be like, well, you love Iran, so clearly Iran sponsors terrorism, and yeah, Iran right, can be very yeah. sketchy with who they support, like yeah. Hezbollah and like the rebels in Yemen. It, it's not great. So I think that was their kind of way of like going around that and being like, yeah, now you do this, but. Truly, I think it all comes down to that World Cup.
0: The 2022 World Cup, Yeah. which I had also heard reporting on that the stadiums were being built by slaves or at least labor where their passports were confiscated and they lived in other countries. So they just had to keep working. Yeah. And then
2: after when the blockades happened, they couldn't go home.
0: Oh, so so they all got
2: stuck in Qatar and there was not enough food, water. No food
1: was being allowed to get in, no no water. They were trapped. They trapped them.
2: Nothing could come in. Whatever was inside the country all of a sudden became very expensive because that's all we have. So now you have to pay top dollar yeah. if you want to get an orange or something. So they know it. The Middle East is so strategic; like they really know it. If they want to yeah. screw you, they'll <laughs> yeah they'll, come they'll, for they'll you. They'll
0: do it. And when you're tracking these things for your show or just in general, like you mentioned Al Jazeera as a solid source to go yeah. to. What mm-hmm. are some other sources you turn to or or ways you try to find out what's going on
1: my parents to be honest (laughs) i talk to my parents about a lot and and they watch a lot of arabic news and ever since we were growing up i always remember my 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 parents always have like a satellite dish that like gets like arabic news channels to our house and so they're very well informed and um i trust their views on stuff and so they'll either send me stuff from arab sites or like just like talk to me on the phone about something And it's just good to hear their perspective as just someone that grew up in Syria or just that region of the world because they understand the government more than I can ever understand it.
2: Yeah, my parents had the Iranian satellite as well. I never thought about it. Mm -hmm. It's strange, right? Yeah. Two satellites. (laughs) We have two. We had two. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I usually Al Jazeera and BBC are my top two. Yeah, BBC. They're like so good because they're like on the side being like, that's crazy, right? Like They're just like, isn't this crazy? That's (laughs) That's actually really They don't take anyone's side. They're just being
1: like, these are just the facts. Yeah. You, you, you don't understand how many times I'll read like an American news article and then there's like subtle things that they do that show their bias, even though they're it's not a biased article on the surface, even though the title will be like israel victim to blah 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 blah. it's like they're already trying to sway your opinion and little verbiages here and there just like they they get me mad because there's obviously a reason why they're doing that so i i I trust more sources that are outside of that
0: one story that jumps to mind for that for me is reading about refugees from syria and Mm -hmm. and the numbers of them and trying to go places and like most of the journalism i read about that is whether or not the u.s will accept thousands of refugees from syria when there's millions of people who need a place to go, and the vast majority of them have ended up in Turkey. They've ended up in Jordan. They've ended up uh, just in different parts mm-hmm. of Syria than where they lived originally. Yeah, And this is all from a piece in The Guardian. Apparently, in Lebanon, they tried to take in Syrian refugees, but already were spending too many resources on well, not to say too many, but they were spending a lot of resources on refugee camps for Palestinian refugees mm-hmm. for decades already. And so they yeah. were like, we're a small country and like we're trying to find country. room. Like, can yeah, anyone else yeah. help?
2: And some are going over to Greece to stuff. Greece and uh, Africa, mm-hmm. like northern Africa. Yeah. So they, yeah. they go where they can. But,
1: but it's, yeah, it is unfortunate because they make it seem like this, like all these numbers without even realizing that like they're children and they're women. And they're mm-hmm. like each of these people, they have nowhere else to go. And an article in Al Jazeera about Syrian refugees will humanize them. And I feel like a Western article won't try to do that. It'll just try to make it seem like a nuisance. Also, didn't Trump say the Christian refugees can come? Yeah, exactly. There was at one point last year, he said it's Christian refugees can come and that's it. Christians (laughs) only? Because he was all about that Muslim ban. And that's even more damaging when our president is... Villainizing an entire religion that's one, the third most populous religion, then what good does that do? It doesn't do any good to anybody.
0: Well, and, yeah, and also it seems like, in at least trying to study the Middle East or get to know about it, there's also a lot of enter muslim violence in a way that is probably underreported to someone who thinks it mm-hmm. that it's just muslims going after the rest of the world or something somehow i think yeah. our listeners are universally smarter than that yeah. but I it's mean, a viewpoint like, i've seen around muslims you know? don't
1: like isis like isis is not islam like every muslim right. will tell you that like that's extremism the Ku Klux Klan did not define christianity even though they were based christianity <laughs> right and that same example is true for isis like my whole family is Muslim. I was raised Muslim. I'm, I'm not anything anymore because I'm dead inside. But um, <laughs> I mean, it's true. My mom lost faith after what happened in Syria. So that's kind of sad oh. for her. ISIS, I feel like, has been, for as far as Western media is concerned, it's called the Islamic state. And I think that's so damaging because it's not Islam. It's an extremist, disgusting thing that does not define that religion. And any Muslim will tell you that. It's been molded into the, as far as news is concerned, as this, like, Muslim force and the Muslim ban and all this stuff. And that makes it so damaging for people that are not uh, informed.
0: And one surprising thing, it seems like ISIS works very, very hard on branding. Like, I think <laughs> yeah. there are a lot of ways that the Middle East is very, very modern in a way yeah. that I think most people don't well, realize. And ISIS has, like, a very, very professional magazine that yeah. our, our personal experience Videos, team looked at. They're all yeah. over social media. And, well, that's what... Yeah
2: the way I always bring this up that I think it's the funniest thing is that Terrorist groups have spokespeople, yeah. <laughs> and that is crazy. To yeah. me. Like, how did like who did you intern with? Like, yeah. who? How did you get this gig? What, like, what was the interview process? Who like? decided yeah. you're the communications guy? Like, I, yeah. I never right. understood that. Like, oh, you know, I started with the Houthi rebels, and then I went to the Hezbollah, and you know, now I'm with Al Qaeda. You have, know, do you have referrals, recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> you work your way up yeah, the ladder right. to be like, yeah, now you know what? I'm a, I'm with the big dogs, yeah. ISIS. Yeah. Right. We're
0: looking for a rock star. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no coffee fetch. <laughs> all action yeah. Like. Yeah.
1: Photoshop <laughs>
2: skills you know yeah. yeah it's crazy like they have a huge network they're all utilizing lo-
1: social media you yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah
2: yeah at
1: ISIS like yeah. oh god Jeez,
2: <laughs> tag us at ISA. <laughs> yeah. and that's the thing is they will claim all responsibility for any terrorist attack even if there's not really much connection to it they'll be like yeah that was us and it's yeah like, to a point what, where what you're did like
1: they, what th- happened recently about like it was something completely unrelated and they were like that was us it was it, it was you're
2: talking about Las Vegas yeah uh, yeah they claimed Las Vegas which we were like no
1: you can't have Vegas like okay? that shooting, yeah. yeah. Oh, that they had sense. nothing to do with it, but they were just like, <laughs> Something evil happened, it's us. Yeah, <laughs> like, no. so when did you have time to come to
2: Vegas and radicalize this old man, this <laughs> old white guy? that just
1: like, yeah, uh, we're just trying to inform people. And and we get we have a lot of white listeners, to be honest, which I'm very happy about. But it's nice because they're like, I had no idea, yada yada. So it's nice because there are so many people also growing up that are. Well, first, they didn't know what Syria was. They'd be like, "Cereal, what's that? And then once this started happening in Syria, but now the question is, Faults. what do you think of ISIS? So, it's as, a step. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a step in, in <laughs> one direction, which is not great. But yeah, I, I'd love for ISIS not to be uh, automatically the first thing you think of when you think of the Middle East or Arabs in general.
2: Yeah, we'd rather you th- just directly go to 9-11 at this point. <laughs> yeah, in your head. <laughs> Quit thinking about ISIS.
1: Remember how 9-11 went down?
2: Actually, what we all should think about is uh, Osama bin Laden's um, hard drive. Oh, my
1: gosh. Yeah. That guy
2: was quite into popular culture. No, because he had, like, loose change on it, the nine eleven conspiracy documentary. Oh, right, it. Like, right, he was, like, it was. watching these things, like, these
0: yeah. guys. <laughs> wait, wait. Os- Osama was watching a 9-11 conspiracy yeah, documentary? They, yeah. Don't remember they
2: uncovered his... <laughs> uh, no, this is true. I think I, I, think I heard about it. I don't
0: remember it very well. He had, yeah. like,
2: fa- Final Fantasy on there. Like, he was he was yeah. other dude. He was like, I live, you
0: know, I'm going to entertain myself. How often do you think about your socks? If you're like I used to be, not much. But I recently discovered socks that changed the way I'll think about socks forever. They're called Bombas. Bombas are the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. I am wearing them right now, and I'm feeling real good. They're made from premium cotton. They have this like arch support tech that I didn't even really know socks can have. They do it. I like the kind of higher crewy ones on the leg where it's like a fun pattern. They have all kinds of things like that. Also a simpler, plainer thing. If I want to be all businessy, I have all the options in the world. I even have some workout ones now that are very handy when I'm at the gym. They're a no show kind of thing. And I look like a real, you know, aerodynamic kind of fella while looking great. And here's another thing I get to feel when I'm wearing Bombas socks. For every purchase you make or I make or anyone makes from Bombas, they donate another whole pair of socks to someone in need. They've donated over 7 million pairs of socks so far. That's right, 7 million. So keep cool, keep comfortable, and keep contributing with the best socks in the history of feet, Bombas. Buy your new socks at bombas.com slash cracked today and get 20% off your first purchase. I'm going to spell that out for you. That is B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash cracked for 20% off. Bombas, B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash cracked. Hey there, Cracked Podcast listener. You are neat. There's something that you find very, very fascinating because you read Cracked articles or you listen to this show and you think, hey, I have all kinds of thoughts about this particular aspect of the world. Maybe it's baseball. Maybe it's the Middle East. Maybe it's history. Maybe it's science. Maybe it's celebrities. We have one of those coming up. There's something that you care about, and there's something that you're up to. Why don't you show it off online with a website from Squarespace? They have beautiful templates created by world-class designers that make it easy to turn your idea or your writing or your product or yourself into a new and unique website. You can customize everything about the site from Jump. You can use Squarespace's analytics to help you grow it in real time. It will also be optimized for mobile right out of the box, so it will work on people's phones. They won't be like, what is this? What am I doing? Your site will naturally load up on the mobile devices that I think basically everyone uses to look at the internet now. There's also nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. There's a support team if you do need it. What are you waiting for? Head to squarespace.com cracked for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code cracked to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com cracked, offer code cracked. There's much more of a presence of pop culture and what we think of as like tech culture In the Middle East, like there's a piece in the New York Times all about how in Saudi Arabia, uh, social media and apps are wildly popular. There's like comedy stars on Instagram now. There's a comedian named Amy Rocco is the stage name she goes by. Mm -hmm. And she does like impressions of people under a hijab. Like she wears a hijab and will also do like impressions of Nicolas Cage. And and that has a following. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, because she's just a person like any other, even if she covers her hair. So that's kind of dope. Well, oh, right? yeah, that's yeah. my
2: cousins in Iran are all over Instagram, yeah. like selfies all day. Oh, my God.
1: My covered cousins are into Instagram way more than yeah. I ever will be. Like
2: posing with <laughs> things like my cousin. Yeah. One of my cousins just posted like 10 photos in a row with him and his motorcycle. Yeah. I mean, they don't know etiquette that well. Oh, but like, <laughs> they're no. like all right. A lot of, need to a post. Lot of oh, selfies like, with food, a lot of selfies yeah. with filters. It's a lot more prominent than people realize. Because a lot of people who don't really have any concept of the Middle East think, oh, villages, dirt, a lot hot in it. Like, everyone in burkas, it's hot. Mm-hmm. Like, you right. know, and you're like, no. Like, <laughs> it's it's yeah. like giant cities with malls yeah. and, like, yeah. uh, you yeah. can go shopping for anything and everything. And mm-hmm. it's a lot more westernized than people realize. Oh, yeah. Just the leaders, the governments are yeah. aggressive and when, yeah, religious,
1: but... I mean, you you and I both, like, we would vac- not vacate. We would, like, visit our family over summers. She would go- I would go to Syria, obviously. She would go to Iran. Even going there, they'd be like, why would you go over there? Isn't it just a desert? It's like, no, there's <laughs> there's more than that. And, on- and in Syria, because it was a secular country, and, I mean, it still is, but, like, you don't have to cover, you don't have to do it. It's very westernized. Because it's so old of a country, it has, like, very old buildings, and it's really beautiful and stuff like that. And, honestly, I, I miss it of- of very much. And it- there's so much history there. A lot of it's been destroyed especially in like in Aleppo, but it's not, I feel like the idea that people have when they think of Syria or any Middle Eastern country is just like desert and, and, and villages and turbans and it's just sad. It's just like, yeah, I went to a
2: beach resort in Iran. That's dope. That's great. (laughs) I mean, all the women were covered up, but it was still like a (laughs) resort and you could walk out on the beach and hang out and get on a boat and go jet skiing and stuff.
1: That's dope. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, and maybe it's a product of the media we were talking about before. Like, yeah. I feel like so much of the reporting is about war zones specifically, yeah. mm-hmm. and so yeah, there's a lot of like rubble and not a yeah. lot of nice buildings in a war zone. They've exactly. been blown up. Like that's yeah. the yeah. point. When you read about places, like everyone's watching soap operas. There's mm-hmm. uh, a growing chain of stores called Lulu Hypermarket, which is uh, according to one report like the 25th fastest growing company in the world. There's like a, a big fandom for Lionel Richie. Yeah, that I, was it turns out.
1: Yeah, I didn't know about this until you mentioned it. To be honest, I did but, not know about the super fandom. That made me think like
2: they love Western culture there, mm-hmm. while their yeah. government doesn't let them like really take a lot of it into their own country. But they love stuff like that. They love like mega stores that they can just go purchase everything versus going to like market by market by market to market to get things. Like they want to become more Westernized and kind of become more like streamlined in how they live. And like my dad when he came to America, like loved Julio Iglesias and Nat King oh, Cole, yeah. where you're like, how did you random. hear about these people? Yeah. And he's just like, I just love them, you know? Yeah. Like random artists, usually older, <laughs> yeah. get there and then they become like obsessed. Yeah. And it's like a weird little following, like Lionel yeah. Richie in Iraq, which is so Obstrate. strange. <laughs> like Baghdad.
0: Yeah. It was an uh, article from 2011 by Soren Bowie uh, called The Four Most Unexpected Fan Bases in Pop Culture. And one of them is that According to a story in ABC News, like not only is Lionel Richie huge in Iraq, but people who do not speak English will know all of the words to his song, <laughs> which know is that. awesome. Great, that is awesome. Yeah,
1: no, but it it is true. Like my my mom, even coming here, like my parents were obsessed with like Michael Jackson. My mom loved mm. George Michael and all these. I mean, we. It's funny because they don't know a single Beatles song. Like like all, all the things that maybe like white Americans are like <laughs> this is cultural importance to us. My mom was more just like on the fringe and and she did latch onto some things like Michael Jackson. Yeah, my mom also
2: really loved Charlie Chaplin growing really? up. Really?
1: Like she was huh. a huge Charlie Chaplin fan. That's interesting. It's just like how did that get over there? Yeah. Who knows. <laughs> and also but, I mean like my mom was a um she studied English in when she was in college in Syria and so she read so many western books. Like she was obsessed with literature and like she was just very well read and I think a lot of there is like a like a slight obsession with western media in particular. That is interesting, though. Yeah, they watch everything we watch. They'll like bootleg it somehow. That's how my cousins learned like English, like watching like friends or something. Like like, when I
2: was in Iran, my cousin was like, I love Shameless. And I was like, What? (laughs) How have you seen Shameless? And he's like, I just love it. It's a great show. They're like, the, the king of that. bootlegs. The yeah. Middle they can get <laughs> yeah. anything and everything. They yeah. all have VPNs. They know yeah. how to break through all the like site blocks. They know what they're doing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because I've even seen reported like after each Game of Thrones season there'll be some kind of por- report like once again Game of Thrones the most pirated show in the world. Yeah. And I think the the read on that is often like look how many people don't want to pay for HBO. But it's also <laughs> like no look how many people that's the way they can get it. Yeah. And they really 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 want to so yeah. they do.
1: It's, I think it's like a, a mix. Like it's either dubbed English stuff that are, that's shown in the Middle East, or there's actually a really booming entertainment culture in the Middle East. Like, my parents even here, they watch the uh, Arabic version of The Voice, which is based in Lebanon. Oh. They're obsessed with it. Like, like so many Arabs all over the world follow this one show, and I think a lot of Arabs everywhere, Middle Easterners in general, will... They, they either watch the dubbed versions of Western stuff, or they... They're very loyal to the stuff that comes out of the Middle East. Like, for example, there was a Syrian show that came out. Usually a lot of soap operas in Arab like, world will come out during Ramadan, which is like the fasting month. And then all families can, like, a- every episode, you can oh. watch it every night together.
0: That's like intentional scheduling. Yeah, They're exactly, like, yes. wait, we-, we know people will be home. Yeah. Wow. So,
1: like, Syria, for example, had a very, I mean, not anymore, but back in, like, a couple years ago, there was this one show called Bab al-Hara, which just means, like, the door of the neighborhood, basically. And um, it was just like this period piece set in ancient Syria and filmed there. They they, they deserve more credit is What I'm trying to say to be to, to they do have a very big foot in that indi- entertainment industry. They just don't get a lot of uh,
2: in yeah. Iran. Like you were saying, like Turkish soap operas are mm-hmm. huge. Like I watched so many of oh, them. Oh, same. I don't same. know what. I don't even know what was going on half time. I was just like, who did what? <laughs> yeah. and I would be just so deep in them for that time that I was there, yeah. and then I would leave and never think about it again. But they're huge there. They also have like. Turkish versions of, like, reality shows, like mm-hmm. Big Brother or, like, dating shows where people get kicked off. A lot of spinoffs, for sure. Yeah.
0: With any, like, international format and stuff, like, I'm just curious how different the Arabic voice is. Because the American voice is amazing, and I'm sure it is, too, but, like, it's probably very, very templated the same, even.
1: It's exactly the same, but just in Arabic. A couple years ago, the winner of the voice was... um from Syria and so you can vote on your phone or something. So all my parents were just like, vote for this the, the guy to win, vote for this guy to win and ended up winning. Yeah. So it's just like, I think it's just a way for people to like unite and, and watch one thing together regardless of like if you were Arab and moved to Greece or if you moved here or whatever, they all watch like the Arab voice, for example. I'm just giving that example, but it's kind of nice, you know.
0: It, it does seem like it's a unifying thing because when this sort of blockade of Qatar happened, Then there's a story here from Al Jazeera about a Dubai-based satellite network stopping airing their Turkish soap operas as, like, a retaliation for how Turkey behaved Mm -hmm. in that blockade. And also, like, the head of the Dubai area network was arrested by Saudi authorities and then released and immediately did it. So they think, like, maybe the Saudis made him do it somehow. I think so. but. It seems like it's also like news that cultural sharing would be turned off at all. Yeah, like, because otherwise, it's, so it's important. just all over the place. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's like a because there's just a cultural commonplace that's very important to Arabs in general, or Middle Easterners.
2: I think that is probably what happened. What's mm-hmm. his name? The really rich guy, um, Wahib Al Ibrahim. I think he was definitely yeah, persuaded yeah. because he owns like 40% of that Turkish network or company. And was probably just like, hey, maybe it's time for you to not show this anymore. And they probably threatened him in some way. And he was like, okay, whatever you want. Because that's just the Middle Eastern way. They use, like, Mm -hmm. the weirdest things.
0: Because also in reading about, like, uh, this this Iran-Saudi Arabia conflict, and one way it was apparently playing out in Lebanon was that this past November, the leader of Lebanon, Saad Hariri, was at some kind of lunch meeting in Saudi Arabia and then, like, got a call or someone came up to him or something and he immediately left the meeting without talking to anybody and just, like, resigned from his job.
2: And then he went missing
0: and then went missing completely.
2: Right. And my favorite part of that is when he finally made it back to Lebanon, an article in Al Jazeera came back that with him quoting saying, what happened in Saudi Arabia stays in Saudi Arabia, which <laughs> no I think way. is the darkest thing to <laughs> yeah. say that clearly says, okay, so something definitely happened yeah. in Saudi Arabia to you. What's going on? And him being like, no comment. And you're like, what it's in like, the world? What happened <laughs> to you, man? <laughs> the, why would you even say that? Yeah. <laughs> it's packed with oh, so man. much like, oh, what? that You can't, Act as if that's the that's it like no more no sorry I can't say anything else like okay um
0: and then this conflict I had heard of the group Boko Haram in, in mm-hmm. Nigeria, and then it's not quite directly tied to it, but like there are um Salafist people in Nigeria who are tied to them and also tied to the Saudis eventually and then uh, Sudan has been on both sides of this, and now there are Sudanese troops in the Saudi coalition in Yemen. And then, again, we talked about, like, Russia gets involved, the United States gets involved. Like, it seems like this is a global conflict between these two countries that not anybody here really knows about or is aware of.
2: And it really does come down to, like, you're either on Iran's side or you're on Saudi Arabia's side. And it's not painted as clear in the press, but that's really what it comes down to.
1: No, but you're also right because it's really not about religion anymore. It's just politics. Like, it's not about Sunni versus Shia, even though that's what it might seem like on the surface because it's a a Sunni country versus a Shia country. But it's just politics and who wants to be the top dog. It's not about religion anymore. Right. Maybe right. it was seven fucking centuries ago, but yeah. But <laughs> They're beyond anymore. that now.
2: Yeah. <laughs> now it's about who has the World Cup. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's man. about a lot of very modern issues. Yeah. <laughs> Soccer being one oh, sorry, yeah. football.
0: Also some stories, just I know this is soccer specific, but like there's stories about there being some kind of bribery or shenanigans or something, allegedly, within determining the World Cup being in Qatar at all, or even oh, in the, yeah, FIFA, oh, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. which is incredibly <laughs> yeah, it's very corrupt. Right. And because and also even climate wise, they need to hold that Qatar World Cup in the winter because mm-hmm. it will be cool enough temperatures to right. play soccer outside.
2: I think we even made the joke. It's like, FIFA is so corrupt. It, Maybe you should have bribed them more. Like yeah, what it's
0: not their yeah. fault that they gave it to yeah. them.
2: Like FIFA would have taken your money. Yeah, right. You didn't offer more than they did. It's <laughs> not like they're hiding how corrupt they are anymore. Yeah. Like there's so much info about them just being like, yeah. I mean, send that check over, and
1: your country's yeah. looking good. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So they're putting it in Russia this summer, and they probably don't like Russia. Just Russia yeah. Yeah. ponied up. Yeah, like, yeah.
1: Exactly. <laughs> And of course so they takes. did. Of course, the game. fucking Russia, yeah. and Putin. man. But ponied up they want all the fucking oh my god <laughs> of course not surprising
0: as we keep looking at these countries there are also i think interesting pockets of progressivism in various parts of the middle east too it's mm-hmm. uh, that's also something that is underreported it's also a very specific place to place but reading about the country of tunisia that country was part of kind of the arab spring in 2011 and uh, toppled an autocratic leader and then from there has put in a new constitution and become relatively progressive for the area. Yeah. And I had never heard of that until I was preparing for this.
2: Well, ready.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I wasn't too aware too much of um, Tunisia. But yeah. Pakistan is big with um, like LGBT communities mm-hmm. and trans community in Pakistan. Yeah. They don't get treated wow. great, but they're out there. Yeah, and I think that's very important. It's a step
1: in the right direction for sure. Yeah.
0: Whereas, in particular, in Karachi or, or elsewhere in the country, or
2: um, Karachi, I think I think it's mostly bigger cities where they can because I mean, once a, the smaller the village, clearly there's going to be less tolerance. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah,
0: stuff that's culturally that's sort of a phenomenon everywhere, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: The Middle East is more progressive than people want yeah. to believe. You know, like even in Syria. I mean, you would walk around and you would see guys holding hands. It's not, and people just—I mean, they wouldn't be like "yay" for you, but they would just let it happen. So I think they're—they're going in the right direction. It just takes them a little bit more time. Pakistan's somewhat okay with it, but other countries have like
2: death penalties for such things. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. So it's—it's—it's coming along, but it has a very long way to
1: go. I think it's the same here, though. There's also people that are just like. Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve kind of stuff. So, so there's still those pockets of people that are set back to. in the time. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but then there's also places like Dubai, like we said. That's <laughs> yeah. popping off.
1: Yeah. And Lebanon is another country that's very westernized and I mean I don't want to say westernized is a good thing. I think it's okay not to be westernized and still be progressive. But westernized yeah. as far as just their um, how they go about themselves and their and their they're very like free about what they wear and, and what and their entertainment industry and a lot of the country is Christian and Muslim, so there there's like very religious. There's a lot of religious freedom there.
0: Yeah, and it's probably worth mentioning too that not all of the Middle East is Muslim. Even yeah. there, there is mm-hmm. it's a high percentage, but yeah. it, there's diversity there too.
1: Yeah, a large, yeah. A, a huge, percentage of Christianity in the Middle East in Lebanon, Syria, especially. And then there's Judaism in Israel and Syria and all the other countries and yeah. Zoro- Zoroastrianism. Yeah, I never say that right.
0: Oh, Zoroastrianism. Yes, that's Zoroastrianism. the one. Yeah. I never say that. I always can get so far with that word. Yeah. Um,
1: and then there's like the Druze.
0: Druism is something like that. Yeah, it's what like
1: I mean, not they're not always classified as Muslim, but there it's definitely an offshoot of it. It's just another sect, I think, that has come from the Shia um, uh, sect and. There's just, there's so many different sects of Islam in in Islam. And then there's also the Baha'i faith, for example, is like a faith that's like little known, but it's very populous, apparently. There's also ethnic groups like the Kurds and people from Azerbaijan or the Turks or all those things. There's just so many different things that classify themselves as Middle Eastern. The largest ethnic groups, Mm -hmm. it's Arabs,
2: Azerbaijanis, Kurds, Persians, and Turks. Yeah. Which is not even, it's not all of them so yeah there's, only some of them. Yeah, not there's so many yeah. more there's Am- Armenians Assyrians mm-hmm. Greeks <laughs> yeah even, <laughs> in there yeah there's a lot it's a lot going on a lot
1: Punjabi like that's like a like another like a, the diaspora like goes on if you want to like consider like not just Middle Eastern but like the the wider
0: the wider, Muslim wider community. yeah
1: yeah yeah so it's just Pakistani is one of those wider Muslim communities too because they're not technically Arab or Persian mm-hmm. they're Pakistani they're on their own or, or Afghani or like whatever I would like to believe that Middle East can umbrella all of those things. But I don't know if ever, everyone else would agree with that if they would want to be more particular.
2: I was reading up on this because I was curious. And I guess Middle East kind of became the word when, because of the military. Because mm-hmm. the military used it as a way to like kind of group everyone together.
0: Like the U.S. military? Or yeah. The, oh, okay. To like
2: categorize regions. Because they're like, okay, so this is the Middle East. This is where we go to war here. But then it's crazy because <laughs> Egypt is technically North Africa. Yeah. So right. that's not technically the Middle East, mm-hmm. uh, Turkey is half Europe, half Asia, mm-hmm. and other parts of the Middle East are just in, like, Southwest Asia. Yeah. <laughs> like, they right. like not really in the Middle East or, like, the Central South Asia, so...
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. They range. I kind of want to take that term back, you know, though I want it to be an umbrella term that unites us. Rather than define yeah,
0: us, should be positive. But, whatever it is, yeah. yeah. I don't know exactly from time to time what it covers. Like, like bringing up Tunisia earlier, some people listening to this might have been like, "That's in Africa. How is that in the Middle East?" Well, it's like, it depends. Is yeah. the Middle East like the Muslim world? Because then there are huge Muslim countries, mm-hmm. Muslim majority countries in like Southeast Asia, like yeah, Indonesia. Indonesia. Yeah. Yeah. I just googled what does Google say as a map of the Middle East, and one of the first results had Morocco in it. Uh-huh. And Morocco is pretty far west, if yeah. this is a geographical thing. But if it's like an old Ottoman Empire thing, mm-hmm. why isn't Greece and Hungary and other parts of Eastern Europe in yeah. like it's, it? Yeah, those, like, it seems very
2: Mediterranean areas. Yeah. Also, you think would be Mediterranean's a, part
1: of it. a good word too? Mediterranean and Middle East, I feel like can go together. My mom was the one that was like just recently. I was talking about Morocco, and she was like, "Yeah, they're all Arab over there, or like Middle Eastern." I said, and I was like, "Do you consider that Middle East? She was like, "Of course I do, because they're Moroccan, like they're from Morocco." So I think. It's wow. not even yeah. about the geography anymore. It's just about the people in that like that area. Like, Egypt is North Africa, but they're also Arab. I don't know. You have to be more broad in the definition, I think.
0: Like, shared cultural identity. Yeah. Is the, yeah. Because yeah.
1: Yeah. there are so many similarities with all those cultures. Like, even here, like, like Anna being a daughter of Iranian immigrants and me being a daughter of Syrian immigrants, we grew up, in, in my opinion, like, with more similarities and differences. You know, so that's notable, in my opinion. And that shouldn't be something that, like, we differ on. That should be something that we can, like, talk about. Also,
2: while researching this, I started to realize something very interesting is my father is Azerbaijani and my mom is Persian. Really? Because he is, he's from northern Iran. That's the Azerbaijani region of Iran. Uh They don't speak Farsi. They speak, like, a dialect of Turkish. And then when Uh I was looking at the ethnic groups, I was like, oh. Technically, they're a different ethnic group. So I'm part (laughs) Azerbaijani and part Persian. Holy shit. Versus I always just called myself Persian because technically my dad is from Iran. Yeah. But that group of people in Iran aren't Persian. They're Azerbaijani.
0: There's also things we can get into with not only as the Middle East, a lot of things in common amongst various places, but also there are specific things you guys have talked about on your show and in your lives that... Are specific to Syria or Iran, like uh, both of, both countries recently had their New Year's holiday. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, which are each different and their own thing.
2: They have a lot of little small connections, like spring and like the start of like the spring equinox, or the vernal equinox. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah. Iranian New Year just passed on May twenty, uh, March twentieth, <laughs> which is first day of spring, which is when the vernal equinox happens. I believe the day and night are exactly the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the new year and it's like the refresh of the Iranians like lives. Like people do a lot of spring cleaning. You uh, fix things that are broken in your house. You get a new outfit to start the, the year off. And then you, um, it lasts about 13 days. It ends with like this nature day celebration. You go and hang out in nature with your family and you send off your. Um... So it's part of the uh, half scene, which is what you set up for Iranian new year, which is. a um, half scene. it's seven items you put on a table that all start with the letter S in Farsi. So it's like an apple, grass, uh, vinegar, like this kind of sweet pudding, garlic. And you put it on a table and it, it everything represents a different thing, like wealth and and health and, and, and humanity. It, it's all, all this stuff. And part of the little grass structure that you have, you go and you put it in the water and float it away on nature day to almost like get rid of it and send mm-hmm. it off. And some younger women will like tie a bow on it to be like, oh, I hope this finds me a man, which I don't know. I've never done that.
1: (laughs) It's a really, it's It's a really beautiful celebration. Very traditional. It's based in pagan times too. And Syrian new year, which I actually learned about recently because I didn't really know it was a thing, but it's also based in pagan celebration of spring. Mm -hmm. And it used to be celebrated around, like around the same time, March 20th, all the way to April 1st, which is like the big celebration. And this is before April Fool's Day was a thing. When they changed to the Gregorian calendar, when the Pope Gregory the Fourth, I think, changed to the Gregorian calendar, he wanted to change the day of Easter, and that's a big reason why uh, the Syrian, like April Fool's Day, happened because the people that still followed the Syrian calendar became fools and April Fools. So I thought that was really cool because Syrian New Year was so similar to Persian New Year, and I had no idea it's all about springtime and the celebration of of the rebirth and it's specifically the Sumerian goddess goddess called Ishtar. She was this like goddess about like springtime and fertility and this like badass person and yeah. all that kind of went away with the new Gregorian calendar and it's kind of, and there's still so much history there and if you read about it it's so rich but I'm gonna bring it back I'm gonna bring back Syrian New Year because <laughs> it's yeah. it's really it's a beautiful celebration and and it's and it's not religious at all like it used to be pagan obviously but it's more about spring and life and beauty and it's that's yeah, so right. cool that's so dope
2: yeah, yeah it's interesting because a lot of these date before Islam
1: yeah. Way yeah. before, way before.
0: And and I think in America, there's just sort of a flattened out impression of cultures all over the Middle yeah. East where it's just Islam. Yeah. And maybe some historical stuff that happened and that's it.
1: I, I think it's a really beautiful <laughs> thing to celebrate. And and the fact that Syrian New Year was so similar to Persian New Year kind of made me like like a little envious of Iranians, to be honest. Because I was like, God, they still celebrate this thing that's so cool and like... Yeah, it's it's
2: Iranian New Year's quite prominent. Yeah, still, yeah. which I feel like you made it kind of sound like Syrian New Year's not as Syrian
1: New Year. My my mom even learned about it recently. Like it, it's something like they they still sing songs about this goddess Ishtar in Syria, but no one really knows anything about her. Like it's more okay. of this like thing that used to be prominent for us, but because everyone became an April Fool that still celebrated it, it kind of became this joke and like the April first changed from being Syrian New Year to April Fool's Day. So man, so the, that it kind of just like made a, a mockery of it, and that's really sad.
0: Yeah, that the timing of that that stinks
1: because yeah, their New Year was April first, and so when New Year got changed to January in the Gregorian calendar, everyone that still followed the old calendar became an oh. April fool. The origin of April Fool's Day originates in that change.
0: Oh wow, I didn't know. Yeah, that.
1: I didn't know either until <laughs> like a month ago when I learned about this topic because my, my, my I was born on April Fool's Day or April first, and so my mom was like. By the way, there's a lot more history to your thing, which is very important for Syrians.
0: Because I, I think I thought April Fool's Day was like not quite one of those Internet made up holidays because no. the Internet didn't yeah. exist quite yet. But just kind of one of those things no, that it's people historically like, based, yeah,
1: historically based so a funny. lot yeah. in Syrian New Year to be like, <laughs> <"Well>, <laughs> how
2: dare you go by the other calendar? Yeah. You fool.
1: And then it became this like pranky holiday. And now here we are. So it's very Man. interesting. And I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to bring back April Fool's Day. Being my day, <laughs> my yeah. Syrian New Year.
0: That was a long ago pope. Let's not let yeah. him stop us. Yeah. Greg. He calls uh, it
1: after himself.
0: <laughs> <I>
1: Gregorian <laughs> calendar. Fucking egotistical bastard.
0: It's sort of another calendar thing, but I learned recently that there are different weekends in different countries mm-hmm. in the Middle East. And also, some of them are shifting them like the past few years as we speak.
1: Yeah, Iran's weekend is
2: Friday, Saturday.
1: Yeah, same in, in Syria. I mean, I think m- most Muslim countries or Middle Eastern countries, Friday is the day, it's like the Sunday of of, of the Muslim world. Like you go to, to the mosque on a Friday. So the weekend becomes Friday, Saturday, just because of that holy day. It's Thursday, Friday in
2: Iran. I just confused myself. Yeah, Thursday, Friday. Yeah, yeah. They also get like a month off for Iranian New Year, which is crazy to me. That's like their Christmas oh, holiday. So
0: like still now-ish oh, yeah. when we're taping this yeah, in yeah. mid-April. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because wow. my
2: dad just went to Iran, so he'll, a lot of my cousins will have time off to hang out.
0: With the weekend thing, yeah, Saudi Arabia in 2013 switched to Friday, Saturday but to, to try to fit international business better. Yeah, of... I
2: heard they're all looking, they're like considering it, Yeah, but to yeah. be closer to like a Western style of weekend, it's weird. I, you never think, when you go there and you're like, what do you mean you have Friday or Thursday and Friday off? Yeah. Doesn't make sense. Right, I can't wrap my mind around
1: it. You like, to, yeah, I guess you just have to remember that Friday is their holy day, and that's always going to be a day off, regardless of where it is.
0: For one thing, I, I didn't know that the term Middle East comes out of military planning in the United I States, guess so. or at least us using it in the yeah. United States. Do you foresee a point where the U.S. like has a better understanding of the Middle East, like as a public, you know, like understanding? Who's there or what's going on there and, and what that would even come from?
2: I don't know. Maybe as younger people mm-hmm. do some more stuff like podcasts and stuff and people are listening and have long commutes, <laughs> they, have to yeah. listen, they might learn. But it's hard because so much of the Middle East, like Middle East will always just be a war zone, literally only well, because of weapon sales. That's, yeah runs our entire economy is how much money we make in the Middle East for off weapon sales. So it'll always be a war zone. So I think the context that they'll always know the Middle East is a place where war exists and that's very unfortunate but I feel like that's just kind of how it is right now and it'll be a very long time before we see the Middle East as more than just a place where people go fight.
1: I have a little bit of faith in the younger generation though like children of immigrants like Anna and I are like people that we know or or have connected with that are descendants of Arab or Middle Eastern or Persian people and they have they want to have a voice represent themselves in a bigger way. So I have faith in those people, I think. And I hope I'm all around long enough to see that come to fruition. Yeah, it does It
0: does seem like having the internet at least helps a lot. Mm-hmm, like, yeah. Not only being able to keep in touch with people, but also like, obviously, the internet keeps up a lot of the broadcasting we get about it's always war, but it also, yeah, you can go find a lot of things we found for this yep, too. <laughs> exactly.
2: I feel like the 24-hour news cycle, it's interesting, but I don't think it helps with the Middle East in any way. Mm-hmm. Because that will always, unless like truly like they're like hey guys we're having a great time out here in the middle east there's this new theme park like i I, it's usually just like (laughs) yeah this person blew up this person or this person airstrike this person Mm -hmm. so i feel like having like twitter and instagram helps because there's more representation of human beings in these countries like doing normal things but then with like 24 hour news cycles i think that hurts it more yeah because it's just like this constant thing of like this bad thing happened, this bad thing happened, mm-hmm. this bad thing happened. Who can we trust? Who can we trust? Who yeah. can we trust? And it's like mind-numbing.
0: In terms of relations with those countries, I feel like one thing that, not you, the three of us, but like one thing that the country could do is just make more of an effort diplomatically to get to know those places. Yeah. And in particular right now, because there's like a really, really under-put-together State Department. Um, the foreign policy, it's a magazine called Foreign Policy. They mapped out 38 countries where there is still no U.S. ambassador as of April 9th of this year. Wow. So this week when we're taking this. And that includes Turkey, Jordan, Egypt, Libya, Saudi Arabia, and then also, because there's no diplomatic relations, Iran, Syria, and the Sudan. That's Obviously, we have a president who can tweet them directly, and <laughs> yeah. has visited a few of the places. I feel like Jared uh, <laughs>
2: Kushner could be Saudi Arabia's ambassador.
0: It seems like oh, they—
2: God. <laughs> It him, on, and him and MBS yeah. are besties, so why not? <laughs> yeah. Throw him on over there.
0: It honestly seems like they were like, Jared, you be the ambassador for the Middle East, <laughs> yeah, like hand-waving yeah. at a map. Like, yeah. you know, go over there. like yeah.
2: <laughs> you, you have knowledge in uh, real estate. You
0: could probably run that place. <laughs> like, it's made of land, so... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Folks, that is the episode for this week. My thanks to Anna Hosnier and Shereen Yunus for taking the time, sharing their stories, and leading me down a very satisfying Google trip to find out how people ski inside a mall in Dubai. You will find footage of that in our footnotes. It's It's better seen than described, so go look. You'll also find stats, updates, and more about all the Middle Eastern countries we talked about today. And yes, I'm using that term broadly because right now, America does. And please check out Ethnically Ambiguous. There's a link to their feed along with Anna and Shereen online. Aren't they great? Hear them more. And if you want to hear this show live, The Cracked Podcast is back at UCB Sunset on Saturday, May 12th with a show all about bizarre secrets behind the foods we eat. Tickets should go on sale next week. Mark your calendars in the meantime. And as far as this episode goes, our theme music is Chicago Falcon by The Budos Band. Our episode was engineered by Ryan Connor and edited by Chris Souza. If you loved this episode, that's great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media, a surprisingly powerful force behind the improvement of human life in certain countries. You can find my Twitter account at Alex AlexSchmitty. I'm also on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. And I'm happy to say we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcast. So how about that? Talk to you then. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that enables you to improve your mental health from anywhere at any time. Get matched with a licensed therapist from over 2,000 choices and message them whenever you need to. No commutes and no judgments. For a special offer for our listeners, visit Talkspace.com slash cracked and use the code CRACK to get $45 off your first month and show your support for this show. Talkspace, it's therapy for how we live today. Thanks again to the folks at Bombas for supporting today's show. They have socks made from premium cotton with amazing architecture that also helps someone in need because they donate a pair every time you buy one. They've donated over 7 million pairs of socks so far. So buy your new socks at bombas.com slash cracked today and get 20% off your first purchase. That is B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash cracked.